is not what I am, even though my zip code has changed. I might smile and enjoy where I'm currently employed. Your soul can't be rearranged. But it's hard to understand. It's so hard to understand. Farewell, fam. It's episode 22 of Milwaukee's Tailgate Baseball Podcast, your weekly Milwaukee Brewers podcast. I'm Steve Garshinsky. And joining me, as usual, are J.P. Breen and Ryan Topp. The Brewers made another big splash this week, signing left-handed reliever Boone Logan. Can you guys feel the excitement? I'm just absolutely giddy. Yeah? Giddy. J.P., when you, my mind. when you see a loogie get signed, are you, are you pretty excited about that? I didn't even know it was official. It Well, <laughs> I think Heyman all of a sudden started tweeting about it it's, or it's on like cots that. baseball contracts yeah it's there official. we go so nice. um anyways we'll talk about that later but uh right now you can rate and review milwaukee's tailgate on itunes it helps fans find the podcast so take a minute leave five stars and write something nice about us we want listener questions so follow milwaukee's tailgate on twitter at mke tailgate email questions to milwaukee's.tailgate at gmail.com or follow our Facebook page for Milwaukee's Tailgate Baseball Podcast. And you can also follow the three of us on Twitter, and you'll find that in our Milwaukee's Tailgate Twitter bio. Milwaukee's Tailgate is sponsored by uh, Sound Devices, a premier manufacturer of audio production gear, and they're located right here in Wisconsin. Sound Devices gear is used worldwide, is found on the set of Oscar-winning films and popular TV shows. And if you're looking to create a professional-sounding podcast, check out the MixPre 3 and MixPre 6. For more information, visit sounddevices.com. Okay, so we already kind of uh, spoiled it a little bit, but the Brewers made their big signing so far this offseason with Boone Logan. And I know, Ryan, you, you've actually wanted to talk about Boone Logan for a couple of weeks now because there had been some rumblings about it. Oh, yeah, we were going to talk about it last time, and it was we actually did start talking about it, and then we edited it out, right? That yeah, because you had no information other than oh, well, they were thinking about it. <laughs> yeah, there was, and, and this little, yeah, a little peek behind the curtain here. Yeah, because we were like, well, they did kind of say they were going to sign him, but it wasn't really, it wasn't official yet, so we didn't know details and whatnot. Um, yeah, it's Boone Logan. Boone Logan, he's signed for uh, one year guaranteed for like 1.8 some million dollars. Uh, and then he's got some incentives he can, uh, yeah, it's kind of an interesting, a second year option and he can make up to like a little over $6 million. It's an interesting option that way he has. So for this year, it's 1.875 and then for 19, it's a club option for 4.1 and there's also a buyout of 6.25 or 625,000. So he's guaranteed something in the neighborhood of two and a half. Um, but what's really interesting, and this is really, this has definitely become a pattern now under David Stearns, he can earn up to $3.2 million annually in performance bonuses. So he can earn, what would that be, 150% of the contract value for this what are, year? Do you have bonus. what some of those bonuses are? It doesn't say. Cots doesn't say. I'm just curious because he is a loogie. I mean, you look at it, he usually pitches. Okay, maybe I'm I'm getting a little ahead of myself calling him a loogie. But you look a lot of times, he'll make you know 80 appearances in a season and pitch about 50 innings. Yeah, and I would assume it's based on appearances and innings. Maybe games finished, maybe. Like, that could be in there. I don't know why it would be, but maybe it would be. Um, But it is just interesting that David Stearns has started to do this with contracts. We saw this with definitely the Gallardo contract has a ton of incentives in it. Um, The Chase Anderson deal has been built on uh, with some incentives in there as well. So... It, it's definitely part of what they're doing, which 
it seems like a pretty good business practice. You're paying guys to, to perform and you're not paying them if they're not performing. So that feels like a you know, good way to do business from the team's perspective. And if the players are happy about it, if it's a way for them to get extra money that they might not otherwise get, then and a way for them to bet on themselves, then that's fantastic. Um, as far as Logan himself, Breen, what do you think? Well, I think the most interesting thing about Boone Logan is if you look back at his pre-Colorado Rockies tenure. So, I mean, he was actually quite good for the Yankees for several years running. Uh, this was back, I think, 2010 to 2012, if I remember, or 2013. Yeah, we should know so, this is his age 33 season coming up. This yeah. is not like a young guy. Yeah, and so he had four quality seasons with the Yankees and ended up getting a three-year contract with the Rockies, which just was a really difficult place to pitch in general at the best of times. Uh, but it seems to have been kind of dealing with injuries in 2017, if I remember correctly. Yes, he was. He and, only pitched 21 innings in 17. But in general, I actually think this is a pretty savvy signing. And I think it is just because Boone Logan actually has shown an ability to be more than just a left-handed specialist. Because even if you look at the last two years, he's had, first of all, good strikeout numbers in general. Right. I mean, I think his his strikeout numbers have been over 30 percent in the last two years. But in 2017, he actually held uh, right handed hitters to a lower to a lower OPS than he did uh, lefties. He held righties to a 242 batting average uh, and they only were slugging 344 last year. And then the year prior to that, righties were hitting 211 uh, with a slugging percentage of 421. And that was when he was with the Rockies and. In 2016, he actually had a, a really good year. He was holding lefties to a 139 average. So he's absolutely quality against lefties. But in the last two years, he's shown an ability to get righties out as well. And so I'm thinking that this is probably more than just, you know, your your Brian Schaus type left-handed specialist in which he's there for just a, a, a guy or two. You don't want him to see a lot of right-handers because if you go back beyond 2016, you start to see against right-handers he wasn't as good, but he's at least shown an ability to do it. And so, on a one-year deal where it's a, a second-year option, he's a 33. He's going to be a 33-year-old. Uh, see, this will be his 30, 33-year-old season. Yes, and he's got an ability to to keep the ball on the ground. He's shown an ability to miss bats, and he has a history of production both with the Yankees, but also production against right-handers. In terms of a left-handed relief, you can't ask for much better than that. Um, okay, to play devil's advocate on some of that a little bit, yeah, there is, and I'm going to leave open the possibility that he did make some changes. It's hard to know. We're looking at the last two years, his last two seasons. He has 65 innings over those two seasons. So it's really absolutely, but anything you're going to be talking about as a reliever is always going to have the, the small sample size caveat, right? And so we just don't know if he's made those structural changes to his game where it's going to he's going to be able to continue to get righties out at that level. And yeah. there was, like you pointed out before that, it really was his career numbers, righty versus lefty. He's got a career OPS against right handers of 846 and lefty 672. 
So absolutely. I don't necessarily don't think it's completely fair to hold something against him, what he's done in 2010 versus what he's done in the last two years, because what he's been doing recently tends to matter more in, ten, in terms of predicting future success. But I mean, last year, his swinging strike percentage was 18.5. I mean, he's somebody, and the year before that was over 16%. So he's shown year upon year an ability to actually miss bats more. In, in the last four years, he's had the highest swinging strike percentages of his career. And okay. so it's it's something in which he's not necessarily throwing anything different. I mean, he's still fundamentally going to be a fastball slider guy, but he's throwing his slider over 50% in the last three years. And so it's he's clearly changed a little bit, in which I would guess against righties, he's probably trying to back foot more sliders. But... It's it'll be something to watch for sure, because he he did used to mess around with a changeup back when he was with his early years with the Yankees, but back when he was with the White Sox. So it'll be interesting to see what he does. Um, but in terms of a one year deal, I know a lot of people aren't going to be excited because it's it's Boone Logan. And if you look back at his last four years, he only has one sub four ERA season. But if you look at the numbers a little bit below that, he's not walking a ton of guys. He's missing a ton of bats. And back when he was with the Yankees, he actually had quite a quite a lot of success. So I actually like the deal quite a bit in terms of how much you can like a one-year deal for a middle reliever. Right. There definitely seems to be very low risk on that end of it. The one thing I do wonder, and I, this is more of a philosophical thing that I've been toying around with for years. Great. What is... <laughs> thanks. Thanks. What is... what? Okay. When you're dealing in, in the modern game, you have to you have to deal with a a bullpen that's going to be expected to carry an even larger load than has been, you know, at any time really ever. How much room is there for a 40 inning uh, a year pitcher to be on the roster that entire time? How good do they have to be to justify that roster spot when you're not going to get bulk innings out of them? How good does the team need to be? How good does he need to be? to be able to do that. And I'm just not sure that a team in the position that the Brewers are in, where they questionably have, you know, an ability to eat innings out of their starting rotation to carry a Boone Logan on the roster the entire year, because it's one thing to have a loogie up and down to have a guy when the Brewers went out and acquired, uh, who was the guy from the Yankees they got last year? The lefty web. web. Well, they could bring him up and send him down and, and, shuttle him between AAA and the, the major league roster, which gave them that flexibility. Do they have enough space? Does a team, is it the best use of the roster resources, the, the limited space that you have to carry a guy who's going to pitch that little for you throughout a full season? I'm not. Uh, I mean, I think my two responses to that would be uh, number one, I would much rather carry somebody who's going to throw 40 innings and have the potential that they're quality innings instead of carrying Jan Mourinhez and Neftali Feliz who might throw a bunch more innings but actually be bad. Um, I would much rather have somebody who's going to give me quality innings. But if you look at it in a different sense, I mean, he has in his career appeared like back into in 2012, he appeared in 80 games with the Yankees. So yes, he only threw 55 innings that year, but at the same time, he is appearing in, in every other game. And so if you look at workload and something other than just innings pitched, he is providing value in at least every other game 
in that scenario if you can manage to find a way to keep him healthy. I mean, even in 2015 and 2016 with the with the Rockies, he was appearing in over 60 games. And so, yeah, I mean, maybe he, he only threw 35 innings or he only threw 46 innings in 2016, but that's a lot of appearances. And so if you can create a space in which you can use him and you and he's shown an ability to bounce back so he can he can pitch multiple days in a row, he can pitch every other day, he can pitch two or three days in a row. That's not actually a situation in which you're so worried about the bulk innings because the the appearances also matter because then you have an opportunity to rest other guys or or be able to be a little bit more flexible with your um with your roster construction, especially if you do move Hader into the bullpen and you don't want to have him as your lefty specialist. You don't want to have to waste him against a big lefty and you have Boone Logan to be able to do that. Actually, it it then frees you up to be able to use Hader for a couple of innings instead of having to waste him in a, in a strategic spot. Oh, okay. That, that is the best argument. I think, yeah, that I, I totally will buy that. That, that makes a lot of sense to me. So yeah, I've, I've just sort of wondered in, it's more of a philosophical thing. Like how much can you really afford that? But if, if this does free them to be able to use hater that way and the fact that he can target certain lefties at certain times and they probably can also, the way that it works now with the disabled list being a 10 day DL, you can probably use that a little bit. If you really get into a jam with him where it just doesn't, it's not going to work. You need to get bulk innings at some point, potentially well, you, you also too. Yeah, and you also have to realize that what the Brewers have done with their bench is prioritize defensive flexibility. So you're going to be carrying 13 pitchers, just kind of base standard with the with the Brewers organization. And 14 right now. at points, definitely. Yeah. We'll see 14 at times. So okay, so that's enough on Boone Logan and the uh, bullpen. Because <laughs> let's be honest, that was a lot of time on Gee, it. So. Steve, did that bother you to speak of the bullpen for that long? Well, no, you notice he he stayed out of it. I yeah, I stayed out of it. If I don't have anything nice to say, I'll just uh, keep quiet he a, over here. He, so he, had a moral, he had a silent moral objection. <laughs> yeah. So, um, anyways, there was a little bit of news that came out uh, recently. Tom Hardercourt talked to uh, David Stearns. Uh, Stearns says that it's unlikely that's going to sign anyone um, unless prices come down, and that he's he's comfortable with uh, having Chassin and Gallardo in the rotation. So um, I, I guess my question is, uh, that's literally every single team though, right now. Well, that was going to be my question is, is this <laughs> a legitimate uh, statement or is uh, Stern's just kind of playing a little bit of the game with the hot stove? while everybody's kind of still shuffling to see who's, who's going to be the first domino to fall and set the market. Yeah. I'm looking well, at the quote from Stern's right now that he, he we spoke to hotter. Oh yeah. He gave himself a lot of outs. Yeah. There's so many outs yeah. here. I wouldn't say that we have anything that's imminent, but I can always that can always change with one phone call. We're involved in a number of fronts, some of them farther than others. We'll see where that takes us. Yeah. Well, so uh, Ben Diamond wrote something recently for uh, Baseball Prospectus talking about whether or not the reason the market has been so stagnant is because of ownership collusion and trying to keep down prices. And I mean, it's all speculation, but I've mentioned on the podcast before that I think that agents are trying as hard as they can to maximize deals looking forward to the 2018 free agency crop. Um, well, 2018, 2019. Um, and I think this also could be ownership trying to keep down prices as much as possible. And I don't know if you call it collusion, but 
I I find it very, very difficult to believe that every single team is refusing to sign anyone. Well, I mean, we always have this issue where, like, as fans looking from the outside, you know, we say, oh, maybe the owners are colluding because they have done that before. But then yeah. once guys start signing, we all think, holy crap, you gave, you know, some someone we thought was pretty marginal. You know, Alex Cobb wants $70 million. Mm-hmm. Right, you know? At the same time, you know, Tyler Chatwood got $40 million. Yeah. So I, I'm just <laughs> saying, like, until anybody signs, it's really hard to kind of say what's going on. No, absolutely. But there was actually a very good argument from uh, from Ben in. Oh, like I said, I wouldn't put it past the owners to collude. But I think that that's actually one of the things is is that right now, if you talk to any GM in general, if you look at any beat writer, you look at it's it's either trying to stay below the luxury tax threshold. It's trying to cut payroll or it's everybody saying the Mets have put out at least three different press releases or or quotes talking about how they're interested in all of these players if the prices come down, which is the Mets, and they're always afraid to spend money. Sure. How, but, mu- how much of it, though, is just you have a lot of smart GMs that, you know, they didn't just come up through scouting and they basically are playing with, you know, funny money. Like, these guys legitimately run a budget and they kind of stick to it. How much is it just organizations are better run now? I don't know, because if the organizations are better, I think if it's anything, you're in a situation right now where there are fewer teams that are willing to spend money on free agency because they're trying to, quote unquote, rebuild. And that is depressing things to a certain extent has to be. Well, because you're having fewer teams that that want to buy. Right. You're having fewer teams that want to do it. And I actually think that if you are a savvy team that's trying to rebuild, say, maybe like the Royals, that you're you're in a space like that. Uh, whether you're the Reds, whether you're like, if you're a savvy team right now, what you are trying to do is you're trying to get in on two or three year deals and absolutely front load the crap out of those deals to try to actually acquire people that you could flip. Because right now, if you understand that nobody wants to spend and the only teams that want to spend are the Nationals, the Dodgers, well, not even the Dodgers in some respect because they're trying, they're dealing with luxury tax issues, but like, the teams that want to spend are dealing with luxury tax issues. The teams that want to spend and have room to spend, which it, kind of the the Red Sox of the world, maybe the Diamondbacks, you know, they're Diamondbacks, maybe not. But there are some teams that have some money. The Cubs have money to spend. Um, there are not a lot of players that fit with the with those types of market. Mike Moustakis doesn't fit in any of those teams. And I think the Cubs were trying to be conservative with their offers to Arietta too. Mm-hmm. They Absolutely, have like they'll yeah. show they'll show some interest, but they're not going to just give him what he wants. They've refused Absolutely. to go to the fifth year yeah. so far, anyway. Absolutely. And I think if you were a team like the Reds, uh, you maybe want to see if you can pull the trigger on one of those and try to do like a five year deal and just front load the mess out of it to see if somebody would be willing to do it because their biggest advantage right now is that they have payroll space. And if it's a situation in which more and more teams are seeing an oppor- seeing a rebuild as an opportunity to maximize profits, then that's a conversation that baseball needs to have. Because if there are teams that are saying, we're not trying to win right now, and therefore we refuse to spend, like, there's money there. If you're not the Florida Marlins, there is money to be spent. Well, the Florida uh, Marlins have money to spend, too. They just don't want to. No, yeah, we got the Wolverine that's, plan that's, that's yeah. not necessarily sure. 
I mean, they Jeter's getting paid based on how much profitability he brings to the uh, the organization. Yeah, because their debts are terrible. They do have <laughs> right, but they do have that is part of it. But he's still going to make them profitable. In that, absolutely, in absolutely. That sense, but every so. team is going to be profitable. He didn't take the team to become to like break even. Sure. Well, no, 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 no. But like, if a lot of these teams have space to use their money to their advantage, it's the same thing the Braves did to be able with the with uh, the Diamondbacks and the Brewers did to some some respect to get Isan Diaz. Like they used the fact that the Diamondbacks needed to shed money to be able to get Tuki Toussaint to be able to get Isan Diaz to be able to take on back contracts. Uh, I mean, heck that's what the, the Braves basically just did in them in the Matt Kemp deal. And teams should be using that advantage to be able to take on things, to be able to get profitable things by being able to take on money. Um, and I'm shocked that more teams are not doing it, which does, I think lend some credence to the fact that more and more, I, I don't I've never been partial to the argument, but I do think that there's something to be said that owners are taking the opportunity to say we're rebuilding and having this as an opportunity to maximize profits as much as possible because there's no reason you can't have front loaded deals and be able to put yourself in a position to compete later, to be able to move contracts later, to be able to move players later. Um but I'm surprised that we've been seeing anything. So I think collusion is is something that could potentially be happening. It could be agents overshooting their prices because they're trying to set the market for the next free agent class. I don't know what's happening, but uh, I don't think it's as easy as saying free agent that that organizations are just getting smarter because there are a lot of good players out there to be able to take advantage of them on unreasonable contracts. I don't think that people like Mike Moustakas... I don't even think Arietta at five years is is an unreasonable ask, uh, considering some of the other markets or the other signings that have been out there. So there's something going on, and I think collusion could be it, but it's a conversation that should be had, and it'll be interesting to see what's going on. So I don't think that David Stearns is doing anything that any other GM is not doing at the moment. No, I wouldn't think so. I would say part of it too is it undoubtedly is how many of the top free agents right now are repped by Scott Boris. And he's keeping them, he's holding them back. I mean, you've got Moustakis, you've got Hosmer, you've got Arietta, you've got uh, J.D. Martinez. I mean, really, some of the very top free agents on this market are repped by the guy who isn't afraid to take them deep into off-seasons. And that's just a big part of, I think, what we're seeing. Nobody wants to make a deal. No, I don't think anybody wants to sign a deal that's going to end up looking bad in a month or in two weeks and you're going to, and an agent's going to say, we're going to take, you know, 30% less than what we thought we could get here because we, uh, because we just want to make a deal and get it over with because they're afraid of looking bad. And I, I, I understand that from the agent's perspective. Yeah. And there's money out there. Yeah. I, I just don't necessarily think, I mean, it's the same thing. We always talk about trades and we talk about free agency deals. I don't think people are afraid of doing things because they might look bad. I just don't think that that's something that motivates people. I think from an agent's perspective, when you have your your top client of the year or whatever, if you end up getting them less than what the market but, ends up looking like later on. different than, than a Scott Boris client who's a mid-tier dude. Like if you're talking about everybody's best client and you're, uh, and you're scared of getting your 
top, top client, a, a, a subpar deal, maybe, but then that doesn't explain why people at the lower levels or the mid levels for each of these agents, why they're not moving. Well, some of them have. I mean, we've seen a, a number of relievers have signed because that like, market kind of moved quickly. Oh, well, I, yeah, I guess there are a bunch of relievers that were like nobody's 12 months ago got two-year deals. And yeah, I mean, good for them. If, like, and Wade if, Davis got his $53 million or whatever. And um, yeah, I mean, we've seen yeah. McGee get a three-year deal. and Well, just anybody who went to the Rockies. Anybody who went to the Rockies, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but the other thing I, I think I'd say about this is Stern seems to be taking the the position, and it, it seems like a smart one, that we can go into the season with what we've got. That we did the business we absolutely had to do. We had to add some depth to the rotation that they took care of Well, that. hold on. I mean, that kind of depends on expectations, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Like well, the people who so. really think that they're going to be legitimately competitive, they haven't done enough. Well, no, no, no. But what I'm saying is the business that they absolutely had to take care of. Like sure. they needed guys to just fill out a credible rotation, at least to start the year. And they've done that now. They have, they have that. That's what, being, it's, it's a bit generous. It is maybe a little bit generous. I think people definitely have higher expectations than that, but they don't need at this point, they've done what sort of the absolute bare minimum. And if they a bare minimum, but I don't know. I think bare minimum, they had plenty of people they could have relied on from and saying that said that they wanted to give an opportunity for top prospects. I mean, they could have filled out the rotation with Hader and Woodruff and nobody would have bat an eye. Yeah, people would have people who thought they were going to compete like would have thrown a stink just like they're throwing a stink now. But you could have actually gotten some of the more diehards to be like, yeah, we're going to see these top prospects and we're going to continue to rebuild. and We're going to do all these things and see what they have to offer. Like I, they didn't have to sign. I think what they did is they did the bare minimum to cover themselves that they didn't want to use their top prospects because this is a this is a fallback option if they don't get their bigger things that they're working on. Right, which I think that was going to be my next point was they now have the freedom to be able to pursue these things without the pressure that their their bottom baseline is going to really if they don't so they because they have Shasin if they don't get Arietta it's not a disaster it's just suboptimal it's it's that as opposed to if they were holding out and waiting they covered on their butts to fill the roster that's what they've done so far sure that's okay it. that's another way to say it sure and so well I mean you're trying to make it sound like something I don't know more impressive than that. That's I mean, all it is. They have they have roster. They they have a, a roster that they could run out there on opening day and have it be credible. But I think they're going to still. Do they do something. have they do have major leaguers. <laughs> they have so people. there you go. So anyways, hey, did you want to go over your uh, the the theory we were talking about earlier this week? <laughs> the theory you had oh, you had some thoughts on I, Eric Hosmer. Um, oh, the Eric Hosmer thing. Yeah. Oh yes, yes, yes. I don't want to talk about this. <laughs> no, not at all. No, I don't care. There are a lot of things I don't care. It, like about one of the questions we're going to have later. I was going to uh, say. All due, with all due respect to, to Charlie, who wrote a lot of great questions, and I actually like some of them. The one about, we're going to talk about Grateful Dead, and I don't care. Um, <laughs> and, 
But like, I also don't care about what Ryan thinks Eric Hosmer is going to magically do with the Cardinals. No, that was the best part, though, was that he legitimately thinks that the Cardinals are going to like do some voodoo magic and right and and th- and they're and they're going to change so Eric Hosmer. He thinks wait wait he thinks they're going to sign Eric Hosmer for 150 million dollars because they want to fix him. That's why I wanted him to talk about this. Oh no, let's just skip that. <laughs> so we're we're going to have Steve tell everybody what he thinks my opinion of a thing is, that and then I don't get to rebut. That, that no, is. it's not. It's not. But yeah. whatever. No. Like, well, we're, other we're than the fact that, like, but there was no reason that it had to be the Cardinals that was that were going to do the thing that you're talking about doing. Other than the fact that you're scared it's going to be the Cardinals because of because they're know, in the, the division or magic. No, because they're in the division, and I don't like them, and I don't want them to do well. That's the, that's the fear. They're a good organization, well run, and I'm worried that if Eric Hosmer were to sign there, that they might be able to help him take the next step. And what, what was the next this, step? This is the essential thing. What was the next no, step? I said I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> you said he was going to be like, we should. We either we either needed to talk about this or just edit it all. You out. said he was going to be like this MVP candidate no, once he goes to the move on. Let's move on. Okay. Let's talk wait, about wait, wait. the only other reason why I want to bring this up. Who is another example that they've ever done this with? No one. Who's a younger player that they brought in and everybody thought he was going to take some big leap? Jason Hayward. Did he I'm do a, that? I'm no. Gonna, I'm going to respect JP's wishes here, and we're just not going to talk about this. You no, can, we're gonna, no, we're, we're moving on to Charlie's question. So Charlie asked. Oh, you want to do Charlie's? Okay. Well, yeah. I was going to do that so, one last, but if you want to do it no, now. Char- Charlie asked a, a bunch of good questions. Um, and so he said, this is particularly, particularly to Steve. Uh, I don't know why I'm now hosting, but here you go. Uh, so he said, I noticed on your Twitter cover photo that you are a Bobby Weir fan. If you could pick a dead song. So a grateful dead song that best represents the current state of the Brewers organization. What would you go with? And he says that I'll also accept songs they didn't write, but that they do cover live. And since I do not have an answer to this, uh, I will run the show and say, Steve, there we go. What are your thoughts? Do, here? do you want me to go first or do you want to go with yours, Ryan? Because you no, were looking I'm host- late. I, I, okay. I'm hosting. I'm hosting. I, I was gonna I was gonna pick uh Here Comes Sunshine. God <laughs> I knew you were looking at that one. I was gonna pick that one because yes. A because it messes with my head. It messes with Ryan. B yes. They played it for a short time, and I think a lot of the guys that are currently on the team might get turned over by the time they actually turn into a decent team. So I think kind of that aspect of it. And see, it's an awesome song, and I like it, so that's why I was picking it. Ryan? Yeah, that was that was going to be my pick, too, because it's, it but is why? one of my... Because, one, it's one of my favorite songs. The whole point of the song is that you're emerging into a better time and a better place. So that is a... That is a, a thing that is going on with the Brewers right now. We're and the acid it. stuff or whatever. We're, yeah, there's that too. Yeah, it's, it's an LSD song. It is. Right on. So Good. there's that. So, so we were, that, was, that was going to also be my pick, and I didn't have a second pick, and I should have gone first. Charlie asked us to rank our top three and bottom three Brewers transactions since we become a fan. And I think it might be a little bit much for each of us to do our top three and bottom three, but I think that all three of us could probably go with our favorite, our, so our, our, our top Brewers transaction and our least favorite uh, Brewers transaction since I've become a fan. I think that that's a reasonable, reasonable ask. I think so. I think I'm, going to, I'm going to, uh, uh, I'm going to give it back to Steve to be the host since he's far better at this 
and has a much lovelier voice than I do. Wait, hold but, on a uh, second. Right, so should I answer first or do you want me to well, now I, reframe I, the question for you guys? No, no, I just I, I would like to hear your answer, but I think that we should get let Ryan go first. Ryan yeah, Ryan, you go one. first so I don't take your uh, answer again. So are we doing favorite here first? Uh, or should we do least no, no, favorite No, no, let's first. do least favorite first so that way we can uh, end on a more positive note. Okay. I'm right on. I'm perfect with that. Um, my least favorite transaction is it's one of two. No, no, you, no, 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 no. It's one, one no, no, transaction. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm going to go with, I'm going to pick one of them. I'm going to go with. <laughs> oh come on! I'm gonna okay. I'm gonna go with uh, the the Jeff Supon signing, the Jeff Supon signing. That it was, was a, your least favorite. It was a disaster from the minute go. Well, it, it, so it wasn't a disaster the first year. He was okay in his first year, but we knew it was going to be bad. There were all the bad indicators from the beginning. It was poorly timed. Um, they weren't really ready to quite compete yet, and they were pushing all this on a guy who had just been. Good, but under a very special set of circumstances with the Cardinals. He had just come off of, he was playing with a really good defense, um, good coaching, and he comes to the Brewers, and the expectation was he was going to be this, you know, solid middle-of-the-rotation starter, and he did that for a season, and then he was, you know, garbage after that. And it, it especially, he was garbage in 2009, 2010, at exactly the time when they didn't need to be spending money on a garbage pitcher when the rest of the team was really in a good position to compete, they were putting this money after trash. Okay. Uh, my least favorite transaction was the Carlos Lee trade. I think that was a time that uh, if they would have been a little savvier, they could have cashed in. Which one? That was, that's when they traded Carlos Lee to the Rangers. Okay. okay. Because they traded for a bunch of guys. Uh, Kevin Mensch was the headliner that they were supposed to help them win now. And I think if they would have had a little bit more of an eye to the future, gotten a little bit more uh, young upside, that could have been a uh, transaction that made them a lot more competitive in that, you know, th a couple of those years from nine and 10 uh, before they made the Granky trade that got them back on track. Yeah, I think that's the Carlos Lee deal is also my least favorite deal in terms of. The fact that it was it was Francisco Cordero, it was Kevin Mench, it was Lance Nix, and it was a minor leaguer, it was left-hander Julian Cordero, and like that, that that deal for your top one of the top hitters in the National League and Carlos Lee, that's a dreadful return. Um, a guy I know who, a lot of he signed a hundred plus million dollar contract after that uh, after he left the Rangers. Absolutely. And I know a lot of people also focus on the fact that Nelson Cruz went to the Rangers. I don't think that's necessarily a fair criticism because actually the Brewers put Nelson Cruz on waivers and nobody. No. And I mean, the, the Rangers, Cruz the Rangers put him on waivers as well. Everybody had a chance at Nelson Cruz when he was down right. in Texas. The Brewers could have had Nelson Cruz back. So could any other team after he was gone. So that's not a, it was, as big a part of the deal. And it was a situation in which basically you're exactly right, that they were looking to sell a team that was on, on the rise and they were having this huge crop of starters and, and, and prospects come in with, with Prince Fielder, with Weeks, with DJ Hardy and all were coming up and they didn't want to look like they were folding the tent. And so they prioritized a deal in which they got people back that they thought could contribute. And Francisco Cordero was actually a quality reliever for the Brewers for the most part. But there were two other transactions in that exact same time period. 
that were also bad when they dealt Tony Graffinino or they got Tony Graffinino for Jorge De La Rosa, who was just a fill in because they had so many injuries in 2006 to their infield. And then also that off season, they traded Doug Davis away and got Johnny Johnny Estrada. Estrada. That, that group of four transactions right there was Melvin by far his worst part of his tenure with the Brewers. It was, it really did set them back and, Ended up hurting them down the road. So, Ryan, what's your favorite transaction? My favorite transaction would be... God, this is going to be so lame. Jesus. That's what's wonderful about Hurry it. Hurry up, the, because there's all this dead air, man. The Jonathan, the Jonathan oh. Lucroy extension. Oh, man, I thought it was going to be Zach Duke on a minor league deal. <laughs> no, when they extended Jonathan Lucroy and got him... The, the deal that he got, it, that was one of the best contracts. Does that count as a transaction? Contract's a sure. transaction, right? Okay. If it was your favorite, that counts. It was fantastic, and it really... That is so boring. It's so yeah. boring. But, yeah. No, it. I mean, there's lots of good ones. I I, I could bring up another one, but no, I'm going to stick with that one. I That one was... Because I remember when it happened, it was an incredible, incredible thing that they had sort of accomplished and then were able to use down the road. It was a big part of why they were able to get so much back for him. So, yeah. Uh, my favorite, it's probably the, the tandem of Granky and Markham because anytime, Hey, anytime you can make a couple deals that then sets your team up to win 97 games in a season, that's going to be my favorite transaction. JPL. That's it. That's two transactions. I was told earlier that I couldn't have two, Steve. You can't. The Granky. Okay, fine. <laughs> Granky in, in particular, because he was fun to have on the team. Yes. You know. And he was the better of the two. Yeah. So um, that would be my favorite transaction. I mean, I you know what? The Sabathia one was great, too. I remember going to all those games when they made the Sabathia trade. Now you can say, like, you know, what did it actually do as far as, you know, taking guys out of the system that they could have used to flip later on as opposed to just getting a, you know, half-season rental. But... As far as the fun of going to those games in 08 when Sabathia was pitching, that was, it doesn't get. I remember where we were. We were both at Summerfest when that transaction happened. I believe we were down walking around somewhere and we got like text messages saying that they had traded for Sabathia. Got text messages on our flip phones. On our flip phones, yep. (laughs) Actually, I think I had a candy bar phone at that point. Sure. (laughs) So, JP, what do you got? Yeah, mine's the Sabathia deal. Um, it's the Sabathia deal because of how it turned out. I mean, certainly that's one of the big reasons why it it sticks in the memory. It was an opportunity for the it's it's the single reason why the Brewers got to the playoffs that that year, and it put the Brewers back on the mar, back on the map in terms of being a relevant baseball franchise again. But I also like the Sabathia deal because it's. It was exactly what you do when one of your top prospects is a corner bat and corner bats are especially at the time in which they were trading them car. Uh, those are the, the types of bats that are uh, replaceable. Matt Laporta was his calling card was the fact that he could hit homers. And in 2008, that was not something that you really needed to spend a lot of money on to be able to acquire. That's something that was readily available every single year on the free agent market. And he, he didn't profile to be the Prince Fielder type special cornerback that you really wanted it to be. And so 
absolutely taking the opportunity to turn a bat like that into a premium piece was exactly what Melvin should have been doing. And obviously it becomes a little bit different because the player to be named later was, was Michael Brantley. And he, he turned out to be the best piece in the entire deal in terms of long-term value. But at the time, you know, I think we talked about it in the past that everybody was pretty happy that the Indians didn't take Taylor green. Um, I look back at some of the, the old blog that I wrote and I wrote some like pretty crappy stuff that, that was saying how Michael Brantley was a bad, a bad piece to lose. But, um, Ultimately, like that, that was probably a, the best deal that the Brewers could have hoped for at that time in terms of what they gave up and in terms of what they were able to acquire. I don't think that any deal has been able to surpass that in the last probably 15, 20 years. Yeah. You know, it's funny. You mentioned going back and looking at some reaction to that. I know our reactions to like the Carlos Lee trade at the time weren't nearly as negative as they are now in retrospect. There was yeah. some defense of, oh, no, we think this team is on the rise, and these are guys that are going to help us win now. We want to see yeah. the team win now, which I don't think we understood that Kevin Mench was truly as bad as he really was. No, but, well, I mean, but we, we also all, had the defense I mean, of they're going to win now with these guys. That's why they traded yeah. for guys who are major league ready. And I think this is also why right now there are times where maybe we seem a little bit more you know, on the conservative side as far as what we want to see the team do to make moves to be competitive. Because we've seen it before. We yeah. watched a team, when it was on the rise, try to make moves with the idea that they were going to win in that following season and how that worked out and how it depleted their ability to make moves down the line. Well, there was sort of, if you look at 2005, it was a surprising season. You had J.J. Hardy started the year with the team, but it definitely people didn't think that was going to be the year, and they kind of made this miraculous run to 500 the first time they hadn't finished below 500 since 1992. And it was this, this big thing, and everybody was feeling really good. Brand new ownership was in place. Antonazio had just bought the team. They had extended Ben Sheets. You had all these young talent. Prince Fielder, Ricky Weeks broke in that year. You had Ryan Braun and Gallardo down the line. And you were just, everything seemed to be going so well. And then 2006, there was this big step back. And it was injury riddled. You had J.J. Hardy was never quite the same player after that. Um, you had uh, Ricky Weeks having his first wrist surgery that year. They were a disappointing team. The pitching completely fell apart in 2006. So there's this disappointing team in 2006. And the reaction to that was the biggest mistake of Melvin's tenure, which was we need to push to do a bunch of things right now. And it was we need to do this because we have to get better fast and we can't let we can't like lose this momentum or whatever and 2006 was just it was a bump on the road and unfortunately what they did in that time period to make up for that was mostly mistakes they they made a bunch of bad transactions that didn't end up you know keeping them from making the playoffs in 2008 but hurt their ceiling and hurt their ability to be as good a team as they could possibly be in 2008 especially 2009, 2010. They should have had eight. They lowered They should have had eight through 12 where they were pushing or in the playoffs every season. Well, it's eight through 11 because 11 was the year that it was Fielder, Weeks, Hardy. No, Fielder, Weeks, well, no, and 12 Hart were all free agents after 2011, sure. though they did end up signing extensions. They signed extensions. And I just say 12 because that was the year that I, really, unless there was a, if it weren't for the bullpen meltdown that season, 
Yes. Like they still had the offense and they still had the rotation that they should have been a playoff contender. Even if they weren't going to win, you know, like I said, 97 games again, they should have been pushing, you know, at least towards 90 and, and been in the race. And what I'm, yeah, what I'm worried, what I worry about is getting too far ahead and making deals that are going to hurt your ability to really be your best possible team when you have more of the the pieces in place than they currently do. That's, that's the concern. Well, I think one of the things that we don't necessarily take into account very much with the Carlos Lee deal back in 2006 was Atanasio had just taken over. And I know a lot of it gets placed on Doug Melvin, but I don't necessarily know how much of that was not Atanasio that was not willing to take a step backwards. Steve gets mad at me when I talk about this. Well, but the thing is, well, is like, so, but that's because yours is kind of like near conspiracy level. It and, is. Well, um, no, here's what Ryan does real quick. Every bad move is because of Mark Ananasio. Every good move is Doug Melvin operating on his own. That's why I get irritated. So <laughs> right JP, on. back to you. So it's, Ananasio had to learn. Like it, it was a big step for him to actually commit with, with David Stearns to rebuilding. And it was something in which he didn't think he had to do. Um, so I don't necessarily know how much of that was at didn't necessarily understand how this worked and how much of this was Doug Melvin thinking that this was his opportunity to, to take a step forward. But I mean, for myself personally, like in 2006, like I didn't have as negative a reaction to this deal at the time as I do now, because I just didn't understand baseball as well. Um, and trading for prospects in, in 2006 that I just blatantly wouldn't have heard of, uh, you know, like, I, I mean, I know that I know now that Julian Cordero was not anything to really go out and get, but like at the time I, I had even forgotten that Julia, Julian Cordero was somebody that was even in the deal. Um, and it's, it's a situation in which if you say, and it was the biggest thing that we've talked about in general, in terms of. Milwaukee and rebuilding that you have to avoid the stigma of saying you're trading Carlos Lee for prospects. And, and now you're in a position into in 2017, 2018 that you can say you went and you traded Carlos Lee for the number three rated prospect, the number five rated prospect, the number seven rated prospect of a team in 2006. Yeah. Baseball America existed. Yeah. BP existed. Nobody read them Mm -hmm. outside of, uh, the very, very small diehard fans, but you didn't have the idea of prospect ranking in the general consciousness of, of the baseball fan. You couldn't even put that on online to read in 2006 that you were trading for the number, you know, whatever rated prospect of the team where like now that is how the average fan understands the return on a trade. Yeah. There, there are teams, there are teams for every publication writing it. And back then, Ed Goldstein, Kevin Goldstein, Kevin Goldstein just started writing his future shop yeah. column. Yeah, I mean, he, he was, was just the only guy at, at baseball point. prospectus. Yeah, absolutely. He was the only one doing anything on, on minor league stuff outside of some quantitative analysis. Um, and it was something in which at that time, getting major league talent back was a sign that you got better players back. And for years, we said when Prince Fielder was discussed, when the discussions we would talk about, 
well, what are they going to do with Prince Fielder? And eventually they ended up taking him right to the end and letting him walk in free agency and taking the draft picks. But we weren't sure that that was going to be the case along the way. But we always said, what? They will, Mark Antonazio will never allow him to be traded for a deal where the headline is Prince Fielder traded for prospects. Sure. Right. And, and now, if you and look it at seemed what the like White that Sox is actually what was what happened, really. I mean, maybe, but if you look at what the White Sox are doing now, they are leaning into the fact that they are building a massive, like, farm system. Well, that now, that's now all their marketing is. Yeah, and now they, fans they can point to the Cubs across town and say, "Look what they did. We're doing the same." Sure, but I think now fans fans are more upset if they don't see headlining prospects coming back in deals. Absolutely. Like people are legitimately upset if you say, here's a guy who's just a good major league player coming to your team. Well, then then people are upset because they want that. Remember, remember the, how freaked out Brewers Twitter got when Jonathan Lucroy got dealt and then he ended up nixing the deal, but where Mejia was the the top prospect who ended up after that season, he was a non-ranked prospect going into 2016 came out of it as a top 30 top. Something like that. Yeah, I think he'd he'd actually be higher ranked than what Brinson is now. Yeah, I mean, Mejia had blown up, but because that the the lag had happened there, he was actually viewed as like there were people losing their minds on Brewers Twitter about the fact that he was this joke of a return, and oh my god, how could the Brewers? possibly You're overstating him for that, but but, yeah, but it was it was viewed as this big disaster. Not because he was a prospect, but because he wasn't highly ranked enough. Okay, so I'm going to move on. Uh, we're going to do one last real quick question because we are still waiting for anything to happen. And we <laughs> need to find a way to waste some time. So uh, real quick, uh, what is your favorite baseball movie, Ryan? Bull Durham. Okay. Yeah, I'm a huge, huge Bull Durham fan because it's, um, I don't know, It part of it is like I saw it for the first time when I was like, 12 or 13. Oh, no. Okay. Here are the reasons. So it's the perfect age for it. Bull Durham, Bull Durham's the best baseball movie because, uh, one, the baseball is actually pretty good aside from Tim Robbins pitching. Yeah. Oops. <laughs> um, two, uh, you watch a baseball season, but it just kind of ends, which is, I think, closest to actually watching most baseball seasons. There's a trueness to that ebb and flow of it. Sure. And then, uh, three, uh, it's probably the most quotable. I well, bet it's I more mean, quotable. It's more quotable than Major League. I mean, it's more good quotable. Exactly. <laughs> you could come up. There's more jokes out of Major League, but yeah, there's more. There's more depth and heart and feeling to Bull Durham, even though it's an incredibly funny movie. Also, so I, since I'd pick Bull Durham, I'm going to guess for JP that it's uh, Little Big League <laughs> or Angels in the Outfield. Oh man, I did love Angels in the Outfield. When I was a kid. <laughs> well, the of Danny course. one. Yeah, uh, Joseph okay. Gordon Levitt. So, oh, so I will. Yeah. yeah. So I'll say that first of all, um, I don't actually really have a favorite baseball movie, but uh, I'll lean into it and say that I don't know. I don't give. <laughs> fuck it. Fine. I'll say Angels in the Outfield. Um, and uh, but no, like the the thing about Angels in the Outfield is it not only had uh, uh, Gordon Levitt in it, it had. Uh, Matthew McConaughey is the center fielder. Oh yeah, had, was he? Uh, yep. Yeah, absolutely. Seriously, yeah. If, if you look back at it, he's he's absolutely in it. Uh, it D- Danny Glover, like that, and then it also had um, oh shit, what's the Tony dude? Danza? Well, right, but who's the dude? <laughs> who's the dude from uh the the pianist? Um, 
Oh, uh, yeah. He's in it as well. Harvey Keitel? No. <laughs> uh, wow. Is that, that's the piano. Yeah, that's a different movie. That's a different movie. No, um, Adrian Brody. Yeah, Adrian, Adrian Brody. Brody. Adrian Brody is in it as well. So, I didn't like, that remember movie that at all. And then also like the Pigeon Lady from Home Alone 2 is in it as well. Um, we should do a shout out to Rookie of the Year, by the way. Shout out to Rookie of the no. Year. Because that's, no. hold on, that's the only movie that says, we want the mentor for this child to be Gary Busey. <laughs> <laughs> Talk about great casting. Between that and then, who's it, David? Is it David Stern? The actor? Daniel Stern. Daniel Stern. Yeah. God, David Stern says no. Daniel myself. Stern. Yeah, Daniel Stern doing his like way over the top, uh, whatever he was, coach. Oh. Okay, so in, in addition to this, I want to thumbs up or thumbs down to the most controversial. People have very strong opinions about it. Field of Dreams, thumbs up, thumbs down. I'll always thumbs up Field, Field of Dreams because I was like nine when it came out. And you saw it, yeah. And yeah, I saw yeah. it at that age. And no matter what happens with the rest of it, James Earl Jones is awesome. Is great in it. Yeah. So just, awesome. just because of his character, just because of James Earl Jones, I'll always love Field of Dreams, even though I, I completely understand the people who think it's far too sappy and yeah, Craig Calcaterra destroyed that movie, and he's right. Oh, he's totally I, right. And I rewatched it after reading it, and I'm like, he's totally right. And I still like the movie, so I'm also going to give it a thumbs up. I, I, Not an enthusiastic thumbs up, but like, yeah, I'll give it a up. thumb. I give it a thumbs up more on my own feelings and recollection of it more than like as a film buff saying this is a great movie. And the scene when he first meets, uh, when Costner first meets uh, James Earl Jones is one of the funniest, like, just absolutely, like, laugh out loud. Like, when he's taking and spraying him with the pesticide. Oh, yeah. Into the corner. Yeah. Well, I always like when There's they, no rules here. There's no rules. I like when they go to Fenway and he asks him what he wants and he goes on the big <laughs> monologue. And it's like, no, what do you want? Uh, dog, dog and a beer. Dog and a beer. <laughs> okay, JP, you haven't answered, though. I've never seen it. Oh, come on. See, you had to have seen it when you were younger because now you'll just watch it and you'll be like, oh, this I is mean, crap. maybe. I don't know. I, th there's a, I mean, there are so... I'm made fun of by my lack of television knowledge and movie knowledge in general. Outside of like solid mid-2000s like Disney Channel movies where like my <laughs> sister watched them like nonstop, I, that... I'm pretty solid on those. So you're a big like Zac Efron fan. No, before that. Oh, okay. before yeah, that. I don't there's, have. There's a before that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, with like when Tim Amundsen was like a weird leprechaun in a basketball movie. You lost like, me. I remember. Yeah. I remember Darby O'Gill and the Little People when they used to show that on the Disney Channel. Oh yeah. Remember oh, that yeah. with Sean O'Connor. Sean O'Connor. Sean, Sean, Sean Connery. <laughs> Sean Connery. <laughs> <laughs> a pre-James Bond Sean Connery. Um, oh, yeah. Anyways, what is fun about this is like baseball legitimately makes good movies. Yeah, it, it by far of any of the sports, it produces like decent to good because it's a long enough season. You can actually have an ebb and a flow to the movie that works. Where I mean, like football and stuff like that, the season's too short to really be as dramatic. Yeah, and it's also it's football. It's not baseball. Baseball, there's something about it that's better. <laughs> I don't know. It is. Like it's it just, is. It's better. So. Uh, any last thoughts? Uh, any, and if anybody wants any more film critiques, make sure uh, you ask about films that are probably 10 years old or more because otherwise I'm probably lost now. Well, and if you... Baseball movies haven't been coming out at any movie, I don't know 
I don't know. So like, if you want to, if you want any like film critique, just ask Steve Orion on Twitter and don't ask me. <laughs> Have you seen major league JP? Yes. I've never seen major league two though. Well, that's, that's a, to that's, your credit. And that's all God. right. I know there are people who defend major league two, but no major league two is terrible. No major league two is absolute trash. And major league three is the worst because they actually There's like the major league three. There is. It has Walton Goggins is the like no it's Scott Bakula is the Walton Goggins is the hot shot prospect. Oh yeah, yeah. And then yeah, Scott Bakula is I don't know the old guy in it, but yeah, no, they they actually like digitally the animated the ball, like they weren't hitting <laughs> baseballs anymore. They were just like swing, and then we'll you know, and it's not like the digital animation at the time was great. No, so <laughs> it totally looks completely wrong like they basically hit a flat disc that just gets smaller when you're watching it on the screen it's terrible yeah the they third took me one, out of it immediately the third one is absolute trash and even like euchre is just like clearly cashing a check like he's just there you know like i'm here because they're gonna pay me for it even though it doesn't make sense that i'm now announcing for this minor league the yeah the twins I forget or the how minor league yeah i don't know yeah it's major league three back to the minors is the Skip it's it. Been so long since I've seen it. Yeah, don't watch that. That's our. Don't our, watch two. Yeah, don't watch two either. But no, yeah, don't let anybody try to sell you on Major League Two. It's bad. Yeah, so, two, is, two um, is bad. Okay, we're gonna wrap it up for this week. Like I said, if you want movie uh, reviews, you can send us those questions, but I wouldn't uh, recommend it. But. <laughs> Anyways, uh, that's going to do it for this week. As always, follow us on Twitter at MKE Tailgate. You can also submit questions to milwaukees.tailgate at gmail.com or through Facebook, uh, our Facebook page for Milwaukee's Tailgate Baseball Podcast. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher, and in the Google Play Store. And you can also leave reviews and help people find the podcast. So thanks for listening, and look for us again next week on Milwaukee's Tailgate.